From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Welcome to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph Backholm, sitting in for Tony today. Glad that you are with us on this difficult day as we observe, we continue to observe what is happening in Afghanistan. We're going to talk about that a lot on the show today. I want to remind you that you can find the program, all the resources we link to today, as well as every program at TonyPerkins.com. also encourage you to download the Stand Firm app where you can find this program. Wherever you get your apps, type in Stand Firm, and we can deliver all the FRC resources to you directly to your phone. Today on the program, uh, in addition to Afghanistan coverage, we are going to talk about what happened in Haiti. Uh, More bad news over the weekends, it seemed. Uh, In Haiti, there was a 7.2 earthquake. What has the fallout been? And we will get an update on relief efforts happening there. In addition, how is the Taliban takeover of Afghanistan affecting Christians in Afghanistan? It is a small but, of course, vigilant Christian population in Afghanistan. How are they faring? Uh, what is the immediate, the short-term, and the long-term prospects uh, for them? At the end of the program, Dr. Albert Moeller will join us to process what is happening in Afghanistan. Uh, how should we be thinking and talking about this as Christians. First, as we start the program, uh, the Taliban took the Afghan capital, uh, Kabul, Sunday afternoon, sealing their control of Afghanistan much faster than many had anticipated. Meanwhile, American troops scrambled to evacuate thousands of U.S. diplomats and Afghans from the U.S. Embassy as President Biden remained silent up until an hour ago when he finally addressed the nation from the White House. If anything, the developments of the past week reinforced that ending U.S. military involvement in Afghanistan now was the right decision. American troops cannot and should not be fighting in a war and dying in a war that Afghan forces are not willing to fight for themselves. It was an interesting press conference for those of you who are able to watch it. Um, President Biden has been facing criticism from both the left and the right. Over the weekend, uh, CNN's Jake Tapper uh, went hard at the administration in general. There was a Trafalgar poll, um, and I'm going to see if I can get this thrown up on the screen, from over the weekend showing that 60% of Americans strongly disapproved of President Biden's handling of the Afghanistan situation. And that's 70% who generally disapprove. So 70% uh, disapprove, 60% of those, approximately 59%, strongly disapprove of President Biden's handling. So he has a press conference uh, this afternoon where, uh, without taking questions, he makes a statement in which he essentially asserts that he has done uh, everything correctly and he would do it again. It's going to be interesting to see if this um, appeases the criticism that he's getting because, of course, it isn't just the... It isn't just the fact that there's a withdrawal happening. The way that that withdrawal is happening is a big part of the challenge. And, of course, the timeline uh, on w- uh, the, the, the timeline that the Taliban was expected to take over Afghanistan uh, has sped up so much uh, based on the er- initial projections. And we know that last month 
President Biden was insistent that it was not inevitable at all that the Taliban was going to take over the country. And last weekend, uh, last week, he was saying, uh, well, it might happen, but it's going to be 60 to 90 days. Um, but with me now to talk about this, the latest developments in Afghanistan is U.S. Representative Mike Waltz, a member of the House Foreign Affairs Committee and a decorated special forces officer with multiple combat tours in Afghanistan, the Middle East, and Africa. He serves the 6th Congressional District of Florida. Congre Congressman Waltz, welcome back to the program. Yeah, yeah, good to be with you. Well, we're glad to have you. I'm, I'm sorry about what we're talking about, frankly. Uh, but tell, tell us what's your response to what's happening in Afghanistan right now. Well, this is, uh, I think this is going to go down to one of the top foreign policy disasters of, of modern American history. Uh, this is a disaster from a human rights standpoint. Uh, the women, uh, the civil society leaders, uh, the, the Afghan interpreters that are being hunted down as we speak, that are desperately reaching out to me and others. It's a disaster for American credibility. Can you imagine what uh, our allies in places like Taiwan or Ukraine are thinking right now watching this? Uh, and it's a disaster for American security. What Biden just does not get uh, is, is that this isn't just an Afghan civil war, an Afghan problem. Terrorism that happens in Afghanistan doesn't stay in Afghanistan. Uh, Al-Qaeda and the Taliban are married at the hip. Al-Qaeda 3.0 will be far worse than its predecessors. And so my question for him is how long does he let this fester? Uh, and either we're going to get hit back in the United States again. His own intelligence community is clear that they fully intend to, do, to hit us again. Uh, or are we going to have to send soldiers back in when he's done with this reckless evacuation? Uh, but this time you've got a, a, a Taliban armed to the teeth, no bases, no local allies because they've been hunted down uh, in a far, far more difficult situation for those future soldiers that are going to have to deal with this. It is I, I, I'm vacillating between being enraged and, and grief, uh, as I know so many veterans are. Now, Congressman Waltz, I don't know if you had a chance to see President Biden's statement uh, about an hour ago. Um, it, it's interesting. You mentioned China and Russia, and he actually went out of his way during his statement to say one of the reasons why he thought it was important to withdraw was because China and Russia would like nothing more than to have the United States stay in Afghanistan. What do you make of that comment? Well, again, I just don't know... Um if he's, if he's heartless or, or clueless. But let me tell you, uh, the only country in the world where we had an air base that was sandwiched between China, Russia, and Iran and gave us the capability to stay on top of half the world's terrorist organizations was Bagram Air Base in Afghanistan. And we just gave it away. So China is thrilled uh, uh, that we're out. Uh, and so is Russia. You know, China is already recognizing the Taliban. So so much for their international isolation that Jen Psaki was promising, uh, because they want access to the trillion dollars of uh, of rare earths and critical minerals that are there. And they have now, along with Pakistan, uh, you know, another uh, ally against India. So this is just a win all around uh, and a for for our adversaries and an incredible blow uh, to our credibility and to our and our position in the world. 
President Biden seems to be making the argument that this is essentially inevitable. There was no other option. The only other option is just endless war, passing this on to a fifth administration. Uh, do you think yeah. there was another path to what we're seeing today? Well, oh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, there's two pieces to this, right? There's the, you know, the, the, the decision and the overall strategy. And then even if you uh, feel like we needed to withdraw, then how badly this was done. Uh, on the on the overall decision, look, as long as I, I appreciate people's frustration, long, hard, expensive, 20 years, but we're fighting an ideology here. We're fighting an idea. Uh, it took decades to defeat communism and fascism, and it's going to take decades to defeat Islamic extremism. And as long as al-Qaeda, ISIS, and other groups intend to use Afghanistan as a place to hit the United States and to hit the homeland, uh, I believe that we are going to have to have some type of presence. What Biden keeps doing is acting like we have hundreds of thousands of troops there or would have needed it uh, if he uh, right and and um, and do nation building. Uh, there were all kinds of other solutions. And for him to blame President Trump, uh, he has had no problem tearing up Trump deals from Keystone to Nord Stream to Iran <laughs> to the border. Uh, and, and, but but now suddenly he's beholden on this one. It's just it's a feckless and weak excuse. You make a fair point there that, that, that this would be the first time uh, he felt bound by a decision that President Trump had made, if that was, in fact, what is happening here. But he talks about the 300,000 troops uh, in Afghanistan that that U.S. military personnel had uh, sure. had trained there. What happened to them? If they existed, where are they? Yeah. Well, I think one of the things that he doesn't, and, and nor does Tony Blinken or others around him that have never served uh, in the Middle East or in Afghanistan, just, they don't understand the, the survivalist psychology there and how the Taliban so effectively used his announcement. You know, when the, when the narrative is America has abandoned you, you're on your own, the Taliban will eventually win, and they reach out one by one to these individual Afghan military commanders and say, you have two choices. Uh, you are either beheaded along with, uh, along with your family, or you can surrender and we'll let you, and we'll let you peaceably leave and go home. Uh, and when, you know, that's, the, that's the kind of psychological operation the Taliban were able to use to such strategic effect, a little bit of air power would have drastically bolstered their resolve. I remind people that in 2001, we completely defeated the Taliban with the Air Force and less than 100 uh, American troops on the ground fighting alongside the Afghans, less than 100. Uh, but, you know, th this same group that's around Biden was around Obama, uh, and they pulled out of Iraq far too recklessly and far too soon that led to the rise of ISIS, a caliphate the size of Indiana, taxed around the world, Tens of thousands, about hundreds of thousands of, of, of lives lost because, I, I, again, I think they just have zero appreciation, zero understanding of, uh, of how people think in that part of the world. They keep going back to diplomacy. Uh, the Taliban could care less about, uh, frankly, being invited to European cocktail parties. They understand leverage. They understand strength. Uh, and only when you have that. Uh, are they truly willing to negotiate? 
Do you think then that President Biden is essentially correct when he says we could not give them the will to fight? Uh, because from a, a Western perspective, we watch this, we hear how terrible the Taliban is, and we see them essentially going into these cities uh, unopposed. Is it true that they just don't have the will to fight the Taliban, or are they kind of okay with them? I know I've fought alongside uh, hundreds, if not thousands, of brave Afghan soldiers. Uh, incredibly brave. And the ones that were truly willing to stand with us, uh, the interpreters and so many others, are the ones that we've abandoned. Think about that, uh, that, that we've left behind and they're being hunted down as we speak. But uh, they absolutely have the will. But it's, again, when, when they believe there's no hope, when they believe they've been abandoned, when, uh, when all air support, logistics, intelligence support that we were providing, essentially their kind of life raft, so to speak, is yanked out from under them. Um, you know, a lot of them chose to rather than, I mean, you know, the other tactic the Taliban will do is, you know, imagine if our soldiers are out on the front line and people are beheading their family members. Uh, they go after the families, the village, the tribe. Uh, and without that kind of support, uh, it's incredibly difficult. But we provide that all over the world. I guarantee you, just by historic reference, if we had pulled out of South Korea in the 1960s, uh, uh, they would have they would have struggled mightily as well. We've seen it in Colombia, the Philippines, Iraq. That's the you know that's the backbone the United States military provides. But we could have done it with a very very small footprint and prevented this situation. Congressman Mike Waltz, we really appreciate your time and your service to our country. Thank you for joining us today. Okay, thank you. And it is uh, it is just a. He, he, he said he's vacillating between uh, grief and anger, and I think that speaks for a lot of Americans as we watch this. Now, uh, we're going to continue our coverage of the situation in Afghanistan a little later, but before we do, we're going to cover the uh, relief efforts in Haiti right after the break. Stay with us. When it comes to reading the Bible, sometimes it can be difficult to know where to start or to understand how to apply Scripture to everyday life. There are also those passages that leave people scratching their heads, wondering what some things even mean and what they're supposed to make of it. We all know that Scripture is divinely inspired and given by God, and it's useful to us as God uses it to prepare and equip us to do good work for His kingdom, to grow us and to bring us closer to Him. God's Word is powerful, but it shouldn't intimidate you. That's why Family Research Council offers the Stand on the Word Bible Reading Plan. It's a two-year plan that helps you read the Bible daily so you can stay grounded in God's truth, navigate our culture from a biblical worldview, and grow closer to God. This plan will help you to practice the discipline of reading Scripture every day so you can be transformed by God's Word. Sign up to get the daily passages and questions today by visiting frc.org Bible. God is the author of life and has created man in His image. Therefore, we must respect the inherent dignity of every human life from conception until natural death. That is why Family Research Council works to pass legislation that highlights this principle, including laws that protect the unborn. To keep you informed on this issue, FRC has created online maps that illustrate progress in each state on key pro-life laws. That way, you can know if your state legislators are working to protect unborn babies. The pro-life laws FRC tracks at the state level include those addressing late-term abortions, fetal dignity, defunding abortion businesses, 
and providing medical care for babies born alive after an attempted abortion. See where your state stands on pro-life abortion. Check out our pro-life maps at frc.org slash pro-life maps. Most Americans believe they have a biblical worldview, but current research shows that only 6% actually have one. This means that most of our friends and neighbors, including those who attend church, don't think about the day's moral and cultural issues through a biblical lens. Increasingly, we see the disastrous effects of a culture that has rebelled against the truth of God's Word. That is why Family Research Council has launched the Center for Biblical Worldview. This center is an exciting new ministry created to help Christians develop and live by a biblical worldview, to understand why scriptures must be authoritative, and to equip believers to advance and defend the faith in the workplace, in schools, in their communities, and in the public square. The experts at FRC's Center for Biblical Worldview provide research and resources to help prepare believers to give a biblical answer to our culture's most pressing questions. Access the center's free resources at frc.org slash worldview. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Joseph Backholm sitting in for Tony today. Glad that you are with us. Over the weekend, the Caribbean country of Haiti was hit by a 7.2 magnitude earthquake that killed at least 1,297 people, destroyed over 7,000 homes, injured 5,700 people, and displaced thousands more. The quake was two times more powerful than the magnitude 7 quake that struck there 11 and a half years ago, from which Haiti is still recovering. And the largest aftershock so far has registered at 5.2 magnitude, with more expected to come. In response, individuals and organizations around the U.S. are stepping up to provide aid to those affected. Joining me now to report on his organization's efforts and what we need to know is Edward Graham, who's the assistant to the vice president of programs and government relations for Samaritan's Purse. Edward, welcome back to the program. Joseph, thanks for having me. Appreciate this opportunity. Well, we're glad to talk to you, but uh, before we get to Haiti, you're a retired Army Ranger. You served eight combat deployments with special ops and six of those in Afghanistan. Uh, what are your thoughts on what's happening in Afghanistan today? Yeah, that's a, it's unfortunate and it's a travesty. I don't know what country is going to want to work with the United States. Uh, this was poorly planned uh, from the get-go. Um, I don't want to be in Afghanistan forever either. But we also have to remember where 9-11 came from. And a Taliban-ran country is only going to allow terrorist organizations to run free there. We could have done this in a way uh, where we pulled the conventional forces out but left the Green Berets there. That's what they do. They train offensive-capable special operations units to go out and hunt and kill and do the bidding for us. Um, we could have done this different. And I apologize to our Afghan partners. I've, like, I spent years there. And... Uh, Better men would have done something different. Let's put it that way. Well, I think a lot of people uh, f feel the way that you do, but now I, w I would like to talk um, with you about what's happening in Haiti as well. Uh, earthquake over the weekend, 7.2 magnitude. Uh, tell us what has happened there, what's the result of that has been, and then what you at Samaritan's Purse are doing to help. Yeah, well, it's, it's sad to see this country's gone through so much, just still reeling from the previous earthquake over about 11 years ago, but also the recent uh, death of their president, the murder. So politically, there's a lot of turmoil. But yeah, we're, right now we're tracking about 1,300 bodies have been recovered, and that's going to continue to rise. 
has probably risen as we, uh, we have, as we speak. And then there's about 5,700 people that have been injured. Uh, after these uh, earthquakes, we know there's going to be a need for water and for temporary shelter. So we responded the next morning, sent our DC-8 cargo plane down there uh, with tarp, plastic, uh, solar lights, and water filtration system that will provide fresh drinking water for tens of thousands of people. Uh, but we also sent an assessment team down there, and we know there's going to be trauma. Now, this so far is not as bad as the previous one because that, that happened more in an urban setting. Uh, this is a little bit more rural and further out, but there's still a need. We are sending our Tier 1 uh, uh, hospital tomorrow. It will go out, and this will be more of a surgical capability. Uh, so we'll have orthopedics and surgery. Um, you're looking at about a 36-patient bed, um, uh, and that will be going out with about additional 50 staff members tomorrow morning uh, to help support that, uh, that activity. Now, you mentioned the earthquake that happened in 2010, which was actually more powerful. It killed 200,000 people, yeah. and, and you note that Haiti is still recovering from that in some ways. Uh, yeah. But it appears, and, and we can hope, that the, the deaths from this earthquake are significantly less, despite it being a more powerful event. Uh, is that because the infrastructure there has improved? Why are we seeing less death from this earthquake? No, this one is because where the epicenter was, you know, I'm not the expert, but we're looking there at the uh, Alpha Peninsula, uh, more like I said, in a rural area. So it's not there in Port-au-Prince and the capital. The, the infrastructure has not improved at all uh, in the country of Haiti. Now, there are some churches that we know in programs that people have gone in and rebuilt churches, and they did better construction, and they might have swayed to and fro. We have an, a, an orphanage there on the island, the Greta Home, uh, Greta Van Susteren has been uh, very uh, active with and Samaritan's Purse with that ministry there. It's, uh, they felt it swaying back and forth, but it no, you know, no problems there. It's a good, sound building. Um, but that's not true everywhere else. This one just happened, I think, because of the location of where it was. It's off uh, a peninsula further out in the water, and you don't have a built-up area around it. Well, I, I suppose that is still a silver lining, all of this, that the location um, appears to have saved many lives. But uh, yep. other challenges in the near future, Tropical Depression Grace is in the area. Uh, yep. What do you expect that to do for relief efforts? Yeah, we're watching that closely. Unfortunately, you know, because our aircraft, it gives us capabilities, and either we can get around or just maybe temporary wait. Where it's going to make it real challenging is, like, we have to land in Port-au-Prince right now with our plane, the airport. Uh, that is uh, closer to the uh, the epicenter cannot service larger aircraft. So we're using other ministry aircraft. There's great organizations like MAF that are down there uh, that we partner with, and we're using some of their smaller aircraft to ferry teams back and forth. The rest has to be trucked in, and the problem with trucking right now, some of the roads are still impassable and blocked. Just back in 2010, we spent years after they were doing debris removal. That was part of our ministry, going down and opening up roads and communities in these cities and, and removing the, the rubble, that might have to happen in this, this one, too. Uh, we'll assess that later. But right now, we just got to get the hospital set up. So logistically, with the storm and with the roads being the way they are, it will be challenging. I just ask for prayer from your listeners that you pray for the team that's going down there, that we can be a blessing to those that are hurting, and that these logistical issues, the challenges, you know, Mother Nature, everything in front of us, that God will go before us, and that this spiritual warfare, warfare will not be an issue. Amen to that. And we are and, and will continue to pray. How else can uh, those who are concerned, who are watching this situation, uh, be helpful to the relief efforts uh, there in Haiti? Yeah, if you have any questions, you can always go to our website, SamaritansPurse.org. Uh, we have more information on there, how to pray. Prayer is what we ask for. Um, if, uh, if you want to volunteer, especially if you're a doctor, 
uh, someone that's in the orthopedics, a, a nurse that works with in orthopedics um, or surgical, uh, sign up. You know, sign up on our DART. You can go to our website. There'll be information there. We need ICU nurses too. We're deploying two hospitals right now. We're in Mississippi. We just set up. Uh, I'll be flying out there tomorrow uh, to visit our hospital there. It'll be opening soon. But we're setting up an ICU-capable hospital there in Jackson, Mississippi, along with their uh, their uh, university hospital there. So we need ICU nurses to sign up there. So if you're in the medical field and you have those capability, please, we need you. And we appreciate you coming. Uh, SamaritansPurse.org. You can also find all the resources here on the program at TonyPerkins.com. We link to all of them there. But we do... Uh, need your prayer. We need your help for those of you who can. And and Edward Graham, really appreciate you taking the time to come uh, update us today, and we will be in prayer for your efforts. Thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate it. It is. It's, it's, it's challenging times there in Haiti, but coming up, we're going to dive back into our coverage of Afghanistan, and we're going to look to see how the events there are affecting the small but committed Christian community in Afghanistan. What does this mean for them today and in the future? We'll talk about it when we come back. Are you looking for a go-to platform where you can get relevant commentary on the cultural issues of the day from a biblical perspective? Today, it can be hard to find this in light of media censorship of conservative and Christian voices. Here at Family Research Council, we believe that every American has a right to exercise their freedom of speech and share their stories with the world. And we think it's important for you to have access to these stories. To get the facts and stories the left doesn't want you reading, head over to frc.org blog to check out our newest blog posts. We cover the issues you care about, all written by our experts in policy, government affairs, and biblical worldview. Our experts unpack the topics that other media platforms won't, like current events that affect Christians internationally, sexuality from a biblical perspective, and insights into the increasingly radical shift in American culture. To stay up to date on current news related to faith, family, and freedom, go to frc.org blog. We're seeing more and more cases of censorship and the canceling of many conservatives and Christians by big tech companies. To combat this, Family Research Council has chosen to be proactive before big tech tries to censor or cancel us. We want to stay connected with you, and so we've created a tech subscription platform. That way, you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom, even if big tech tries to silence us. It's easy. You just sign up for the text alerts by texting STAND to 67742, and you'll get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742, and FRC will keep you looped in on the issues of the day. By subscribing, you'll get information on our upcoming events and programs. We want you to always have access to the content that will help you stand for faith, family, and freedom, and keep you connected with like-minded community. Just text STAND to 67742 and be the most informed person you know. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Joseph Backholm in for Tony today. Before the Taliban takeover of Kabul, Afghanistan, was already, Kabul, Afghanistan was already a very difficult place for Jesus' followers to live out their faith. The country is ranked number two on Open Door's 2021 World Watch list. Now, with the collapse of the government, believers in the country say they're 
vulnerability increases tenfold, making it almost impossible to be a follower of Jesus in the country. What do we need to know, and what do we need to be doing? Well, joining me now to talk about the persecution of the Afghani Christians under the Taliban regime is Joshua Youssef, president of Help for the Persecuted. Joshua, welcome to Washington Watch. Thanks for having me, Joseph. Good to be on. Well, we're glad to have you. Um, tell us, what is the situation for Christians in Afghanistan? How many are they are there in Afghanistan, and what does this mean for them? Well, the size of the underground church has never really been quantified. Um, we know that there are uh, at least 13 uh, underground churches in the Kabul area, uh, this was, these were church plants that had happened over time, uh, and many of them felt that they were safe, that they were uh, secure, and, and in some respects, you know, Kabul was a very progressive uh, city up until really just the last 24 hours. And tell me, are you in communication with them now? Are you able to hear what things are happening in real time for them? One of our regional offices is in regular contact with uh, pastors in the area. And then another one of my colleagues who served in Afghanistan uh, did some, has served in some missions capacity over the last uh, 20 years. He has also been in touch uh, with uh, local pastors, ministry leaders, and heads of NGOs. What are they expecting this to mean for them? No one knows exactly what is about to take place, but most of them expect that this type of Taliban rule will result in three options. Uh, that they would, one, come back to Islam would be one of the, uh, the options, come back and return to Islam. Because again, as I said, many of them, most of them are converts from Islam. The second option is that they would pay some sort of penalty uh, some people call it a tax, but it's really a penalty to remain, uh, uh, you know, a, a Christian, uh, a dhimmi under Islamic rule. And then the third option would be, uh, you know, to, to, to face the sword. And, and that's, that's the concern that a lot of people have is that they, they most likely to Taliban would result, will, uh, you know, there will be violence. Do you have any sense of, of whether any of them are even trying to get out of the country? And if so, are they doing so successfully? Yes. Uh, all of them have thought about leaving. Uh, some have decided that they're going to stay and serve their flocks. Uh, others are looking at borders, uh, Tajikistan, Uzbekistan. Uh, Uzbekistan over the last several years has become uh, very open and, 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 and what we might say is progressive. And so many of them are seeking uh, to get across that border when the border opens. That's part of what we're looking at now is this type of safe housing or, um, you know, actually housing and, and domiciling these people once they get across the border. Are there things that the United States government or, or perhaps people in other governments uh, are doing can do to make it easier for them to either flee or be safe while they remain? I mean, that's one of the prayer requests that we put, we put out to our, our people at, at Help the Persecuted, uh, our, our donors. We were just telling them 
today that they need to start praying that the Biden administration will change course here. I, I think there's perhaps time for them to to change course. And, uh, you know, I, I think this was a premature exit. Leaving without conditions was was not the right thing to do. And, and um, I'm hoping that cooler heads will prevail and that they will change course. I know the Brits are uh, actively working on um, getting visas out to people who had helped British forces uh, and who would be a target. And so right now we just we really do need a change of course of policy. Do you have any reason to believe that might happen? Uh, I don't know if you if you saw President Biden's pre, uh, press conference, well, his statement that he made earlier today it wasn't really a press conference. But do you have any uh, hope that he might change course in, in what he's currently doing? I mean, there's always hope, but I, I don't I don't think uh, I don't think he will. Uh, you know, I was telling I was on a podcast earlier today and I was telling them, you know, I spent a lot of time in northern Iraq and I met a lot of people who had come to faith after ISIS had rolled you know, into northern Iraq. And they used to say, thank God for ISIS. And what they meant was, is that had it not been for ISIS, they would not have asked the very difficult questions about faith and about Jesus. And many of them, some from a uh, Chaldean uh, background, Catholic background, or um, many of them from a Muslim background, came to faith as a result. So we know that what man uh, intends for evil God can actually turn that around for his good and for his glory. So that's what we're we're also really praying for. And that is absolutely the case. Joshua Yusuf, where can people find out more? Uh, so our website is htp.org, help the persecuted. And uh, we will have uh, information about how uh, people can help the Afghanis uh, in this time. Re really appreciate your time. We'll also link to that on TonyPerkins.com. Joshua, thank you for being here today. Thank you, Joseph. And the silver lining that he discussed there, what is that? That's what we're going to talk about next with Dr. Albert Moeller. Stay with us as we figure out what is God doing in all of this? Because we know he's always at work. We'll talk about it when we come back. Stay with us. What is religious freedom and why should you care about it, both domestically and internationally? By definition, religious freedom is the freedom to hold religious beliefs of one's choice and to live according to those beliefs. At Family Research Council, we care about religious freedom because we believe it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect. Tragically, not all governments do. Religious persecution is a harrowing reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media, even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to mount in many regions of the world. God calls Christians to care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To learn more about this issue and what you can do to help, go to frc.org slash IRF to check out Family Research Council's latest resources on international religious freedom. Christians are called to seek after the Lord above all things. This means we must pray unceasingly, vote our biblical values, and boldly stand for truth. You can join Family Research Council and FRC Action President Tony Perkins in this mission every Wednesday as he hosts the Pray, Vote, Stand broadcast to encourage brothers and sisters in Christ to focus their attention on the Lord in every aspect of their lives. 
Pray Vote Stand will help equip you to stand for biblical truth in the midst of a confusing time in our culture. Tony is joined by experts, elected leaders, and Christian leaders for this weekly program to help you see through the fog created by the biased mainstream media. This year, let's commit to pray for our nation, to stand for truth, and to seek the Lord first. To watch the Pray Vote Stand weekly broadcasts, visit PrayVoteStand.org. That's PrayVoteStand.org. Want honest and in-depth commentary on what's going on in our nation's capital and around the world? Join Family Research Council President Tony Perkins live every weekday by tuning into Washington Watch. You can listen to the show whenever it works for you. Go to TonyPerkins.com to stream episodes on demand or listen by radio through American Family and Radio Network, Bot Radio, the KTLW Radio Network, or independent Christian radio stations across the country. On the show, you'll hear from guests like Mike Pompeo, Senator Marsha Blackburn, Pastor Jack Hibbs, Ben Carson, Senator Josh Hawley, Sissy Graham Lynch, and more. Get a trusted perspective on the news of the day by tuning into Washington Watch with Tony Perkins at TonyPerkins.com. Again, that's TonyPerkins.com. Welcome back to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph Backholm, sitting in for Tony today. We've spent a lot of time today talking about the crisis in Afghanistan, how it's being received in the U.S. by our country's veterans, as well as by persecuted believers in Afghanistan. But how should we in the U.S. be thinking about this crisis? Joining me now to talk about all of it is Dr. Albert Moeller, president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, the author of The Gathering Storm, Secularism, Culture, and the Church, and also the host of one of the best podcasts in America, The Briefing. Dr. Moeller, thanks for joining us. It was great to be with you. Thank you. Well, there's a lot of layers here that I want to discuss with you, and I know you're not a, uh, you're not a political prognosticator necessarily uh, by training, but I want to play something, uh, some statements from President Biden, and then just get your thoughts on how he's doing in all of this. We'll not conduct a hasty rush to the exit. We'll do it. We'll do it responsibly, deliberately, and safely. Is a Taliban takeover of Afghanistan now inevitable? No, it is not. Do you see any parallels between this withdrawal and what happened in Vietnam with some people feeling... None whatsoever. Zero. There's going to be no circumstance where you see people being lifted off the roof of a embassy in the, of the United States from Afghanistan. It is not at all comfortable. Likelihood there's going to be the Taliban overrunning everything and owning the whole country is highly unlikely. Don't you bear some responsibility for the outcome if the Taliban ends up back in control and women end up losing the no, rights? No, I don't. Do I bear responsibility? Zero responsibility. So we know that President Biden, his position has changed uh, over time recently, in large part because the facts have changed. How would you assess how he's doing, how he's handling this situation? I think this is a national humiliation for the United States. I think it is an insult to uh, the very values for which this nation stands and the loyalties that are required uh, for this nation to thrive and be respected in the larger world. Uh, there's a sense in which, if you even use the phrase, uh, government in Afghanistan is something of an oxymoron. 
Afghanistan is not a nation in the sense so many other nations are. It, it's a, it's a, a territory uh, with, a, with many rival tribalisms. But there was nothing new on the ground that in any sense justified the United States just abandoning its responsibility, abandoning our allies, and with the humiliation of, of a plan that was so bad and, and, and so much in denial of reality that once again we had Americans fleeing off the rooftops of embassies, and now we've even lost the embassy. The American flag is down, and we have Americans stranded and American allies at grave risk, uh, and the president bears responsibility, direct responsibility. He claimed it, by the way, made that clear as commander-in-chief before the withdrawal, assuring the American people that what did happen wouldn't happen. And uh, now he has to live with his own words, but America has to live with the consequences. I don't know if you had a chance to watch the statement that he made earlier today, but he essentially um, doubled down on it. He offered no apologies for what he has done and basically said this is the right thing. Maybe it's painful, but it was the right thing and necessary. Comparisons are being made, it seems, to uh, President Carter, and those comparisons are generally not flattering. Do you think that's fair? I think it's more than fair. And remember, this is the man that uh, ran for president and, uh, and, and once taking office declared America is back. He was a foreign policy expert. It reminds me of the fact that, uh, that, that Robert Gates, the former secretary of defense, once said that there are a few men who have had more ideas about foreign policy than Joe Biden, but every one of them is wrong. And uh, unfortunately, he learned all the wrong lessons uh, in terms of foreign policy. America is humiliated. I mean, just consider our allies are so concerned that the British foreign minister, you know, registered his concern. That's Britain. And, and, and then we, we are uh, uh, giving encouragement to our enemies. You've, you've got the Communist Party in China putting out as many pictures as it can of this American humiliation. But it's the, it's the morality of it that, that, uh, that I hate the, the most with people who are, whose lives. I mean, you've got pictures of people so desperate to get out because the Taliban will kill them because they were our allies, that they've gone into the wells of airplanes and upon takeoff, some of them are falling out uh, to their deaths. Um, it's just hard for me to imagine how any administration of any party at any time uh, can act as if uh, what took place was the right decision. I don't think the American people will believe that for a moment. And, and truly, from just a humanitarian perspective, it is heartbreaking to watch what's happening. And in in and even President Obama, in more colorful language than I will use, uh, said that you should not overestimate or underestimate President uh, Biden, Joe Biden's ability to screw things up. Uh, but why do you think? He got it so wrong. Was this bad intelligence? Was there political pressure from somewhere to do this? Why did this happen this way? You know, I don't know any justification. It's clear the military. I mean, it, and one of the things to watch here is the fact that you have a newspaper as pro-Democrat as the New York Times on the front page basically saying this is against all military advice. This was against all military intelligence. This was Joe Biden. And by the way, he started talking this way in 2010. So he's been thinking about this for a long time. And uh, I, I don't know that I could possibly get into the calculus of his mind in doing this, but the reality is he had every reason to know what would take place. The timing, if anything, is, is, uh, is a testimony to how horrible the plan was. You know, you had the president say, saying there's no chance there are going to be Americans, you know, on the rooftop of an embassy needing to be rescued. No, actually, it's far worse than that. Uh, we have Americans who can't even now get to a non-existent embassy to get on the roof. Uh, this is a very sad thing. I, I, I say lamentably, when the president said America is back, I don't think America knew it meant back on the rooftops of a smoldering embassy.
It, yeah, it is. I mean, it, I think you're right. It's actually worse than people imagine because we have people who haven't even made it to the embassy. And and, and sadly, uh, this is likely to play out for a while. And, and we should all be concerned and in prayer uh, for those who are affected. Now, um, do you think, and I want to pivot a little bit to the... Um, to the worldview components of this, as we as Christians, as we think about this, um, in the broadest sense, does God care what happens in Afghanistan with respect to the United States government? Well, uh, God will hold uh, human beings, every single one of us, to full account morally. And collectively, you know, we, we are organized, and I think not by accident, uh, into nations. Government's one of God's good gifts, and, and thus it's moral because we're moral, and there will be an answer. There's an answer in history. Uh, there's a moral texture to uh, the judgment that is meted out over history. Just ask the nations uh, so exposed and their evil and imbecility in the 20th century. But, uh, but the reality is that uh, in, in worldview terms, the great moral issue here is that God cares about every single human being made in his image. And uh, you're, you're talking about a grave danger to human life. Now, I want to be clear that our understanding of sin uh, also helps us to understand why things are as horrible as they are in Afghanistan and about to get worse. And, and so I am not suggesting that somehow the United States government failed in, in building a credible government there in Afghanistan. You can't build someone else's government. Uh, the people of Afghanistan don't think of themselves as a nation. There has never really been a credible government there. You can make the argument that the Taliban almost assuredly would have eventually gained control of Afghanistan territory if for no other reason than they are more ruthless and more powerful than any other group of warlords. But to have this kind of immediate reckless abandonment that, uh, that leaves not only the people long-term in Afghanistan in the grips of the Taliban, but, but leaves America's own people and our allies at immediate risk, uh, there's a grave, grave moral uh, issue there. It's common to hear, and we've heard this from President Biden, saying that essentially it's no longer in our national interest to be in Afghanistan. And people on both sides of the political spectrum, uh, I think, would agree with the fact that we can't be the world's police. The United States can't be everywhere. We can't send our military every time someone bad gets in power and does terrible things um, because the world is big and we are limited. But the, the general principle here is, uh, is it wrong from a, from a Christian worldview perspective, to value our own national interests, to look at the lives of Americans and say, I'm the president, it's my job to take care of, of, of Americans, it's terrible that things are happening to other people who, are, of course, are also image bearers. But how should we, uh, through a, a worldview perspective, balance the, the, the lives of people who live in different places and in different countries? Yeah, what a great question. And uh, that means, as, as I say, that we have to begin with the basic biblical affirmation that every single human being, by the way, born and unborn, in every situation, every point of life, uh, is an image bearer of God. Um, the, the reality is the Bible also tells us that we kind of begin where we are. That's the Christian principle of subsidiarity. You know, we begin by taking care of our own family because that's what's the first and foremost. And then, you know, our own extended kin and our neighborhood and our community and, yes, our nation. But the United States was not motivated in the situation in Afghanistan merely out of uh, out of self-interest. Uh, the, uh, the jihadist movement is not directed only against the United States. This wasn't just some kind of revenge or reprisal. If anything, it shows the idealism of the United States in spending 20 years of American blood and treasure trying to build a functioning society in Afghanistan because the vacuum simply breeds more jihadism and terrorism. 
But at the end of the day, there just is not the will on the part of, uh, of a sufficient number of uh, citizens in Afghanistan to build a functioning nation. Uh, the, the tribal identities are, are primary. By the way, that's a grave, day, that's a grave warning uh, to any other nation, including the United States. Uh, that, that's one of the reasons why the left subverting American ideals and the very notion of America uh, threatens to, uh, to lend us over to that kind of tribalism. There is an American loyalty, an American patriotism. There is an American idealism that, uh, that was humiliated here, but it's going to continue because the American people believe in those ideals. But yes, from a Christian worldview perspective, this is what's called Christian just war theory, the understanding that you sometimes have to use violence in a sinful world to stop violence or to resist it. And that's exactly what America has been doing. I mean, consider the, the people we've been fighting there. First of all, Al-Qaeda and then the Taliban. I mean, we are talking about jihadists who who will, will do damage, not only in terms of terrorist attacks, as we saw in 9-11-2001, but are already horrifyingly massacring and, uh, and, and mistreating their own people. Uh, you've got women uh, who now will not be educated, and, and yet worse than that, you have young girls who are being taken as wives of the uh, conquering uh, jihadist uh, uh, Taliban soldiers now. Uh, you have massacres of their political enemies. And so it's, it's, it's a Christian act at times to have to use violence to try to resist violence. The 20th century, if nothing else, must have taught us that lesson. Earlier in the program, we talked to Congressman Mike Waltz from Florida, and he, uh, in discussing kind of the longevity of our involvement in Afghanistan, he brought up the point that we're not at war with a nation. We're at war with an idea. And he made a comparison to communism and the Cold War, and that when you're at war with an idea, you have to make a long-term commitment. And that's not necessarily measured in years. Sometimes it's generations. Uh, do you think that's a, a fair argument in, in a fair assessment of what we're dealing with with terrorism? I think it's a fair assessment, but I, I just want to make clear that the idea we're fighting when it comes to jihadism is an idea that's at least 14 centuries old. Uh, it is endemic to Islam, and it is following a Quranic logic. And uh, and so uh, it does take a long-term uh, commitment, but it's a long-term commitment that is really beyond what can be fixed in Afghanistan. And uh, look, there are all kinds of things to consider here. You've got the funding of all these terrorist sources. You've got uh, Middle Eastern petrostates that have been given aid and comfort, uh, even while claiming to be American allies. And, and frankly, scared to death themselves of this, uh, the same jihadist uh, uh, movement. Uh, there's a lot going on here. It is a battle of ideas, but, you know, it's also theological. It, it, it comes down to the fact that, that uh, the West is based upon a Christian civilization. I'm not saying everyone's a Christian believer, but it's, it's the basic structure of Christianity that gave birth to Western civilization. And, uh, and this is a, a movement that is seeking to undo that everywhere. And uh, it's not going to be a short battle. And, you know, I think in biblical terms, uh, we should expect this is a battle that will continue uh, until Jesus comes. But that means we bear responsibility. You mentioned that this is a 14 century old conflict. Do you mean, do you think that means that this is not winnable? Well, it, it isn't winnable in, in, in the sense of the fact that uh, at, at the at the military level, you really can do very little to change hearts and minds. I will say as a Christian, uh, we're talking here about missions and evangelism. We're talking about uh, the, the, the conflict between Christianity and Islam. We're talking about two rival faiths with two rival sets of, uh, of truth claims and morality. And, uh, and so you look at this and you recognize 
it's it's intractable insofar as our historical understanding and imagination uh, must be when we're, we you go back to the seventh century uh in in order to understand how long this this battle has gone on i mean america's first major foreign policy issue and challenge after the reformation was uh, islamic piracism uh coming from uh, from north africa the barbary pirates this is this america has actually had uh, a confrontation with jihadist islam uh, going back for almost as long as we've been a nation, uh, it's not going to go away anytime soon. But one of the big issues here is just the fact that that Afghanistan is a part of that larger issue. It's it, it, if Afghanistan's not just a spot on planet Earth where these issues are limited. No, it's part of a far larger picture. We've got about a minute left. How should parents be talking to their kids about what's on the news right now? Well, it, it certainly helps us to remember, first of all, that God is sovereign and that human life matters and that we're moral creatures because God made us this way and we are all to be held morally responsible. Uh, Joseph, I hope you'll let me say just one more thing, and that is this. Uh, this is not a failure of the American soldier. The American soldier fought nobly and, uh, and accomplished keeping back the forces of mayhem from Afghanistan for 20 years, over 2,000 American lives lost. Uh, they did not fail. The American uh, soldier uh, and uh, armed services did not fail here. Uh, this is a political failure. I think that's a really good point. Dr. Albert Muller, we really appreciate your time and your wisdom uh, today and always. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Great to be with you. And for those of you who haven't heard it, The Briefing is Dr. Moeller's uh, podcast where every day he does a, an evaluation of the news from a Christian worldview, and you would be blessed if you found it wherever you can find podcasts. So that's what we got for today on the program. It is a somber day as we see the news out of Afghanistan, as we struggle to understand why. Ultimately, this is not a political battle. Uh, Ephesians 6, we wrestle against, not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. We're seeing how that plays out. We're going to discuss more of this tomorrow on Washington Watch. We'll see you then. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.